we interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you the Brown Brothers Haunting Hour. Tonight's terrifying tale, H.H. Holmes, the Devil of Chicago. Join Tyler and Ryan as they uncover the secrets behind one of America's most infamous killers. Now, tonight's feature presentation. Welcome back to The Haunting Hour. My name is Ryan Brown, your co-host here at The Haunting Hour, and joined, as always, alongside my brother Tyler. Ty, how are we doing on this September evening? All good things on this side of the table, younger brother. How are you doing? I feel like whenever we start an episode, you ask me how I am, and I never return the favor. How are you on this Wednesday night? All right, here we go. I'm cracking one live on the air for the first time this fall season because I gave you guys all crap on Instagram as well as a couple episodes ago that it was too early in the season to be drinking pumpkin-flavored beverages. But to do you guys a solid, I'm cracking my first shipyard pumpkin head of the year and I'm taking my first sip right now. So here we go. I'm sorry, did you completely ignore my question after I took the time to ask you how you were doing? And I'm going to tell you how I'm doing. I'm doing real good right about now because this tastes like I'm walking through an apple orchard with like a really spooky scarecrow staring at me from across like the field or the orchard. Oh man, did I miss these things. So are you the kind of person that thinks beer is better on draft than it is in a bottle? No, there's no difference, I don't think. So I think beer is actually better in a bottle than it is on draft. And I know I'm in the minority. I know people will draw and quarter me for saying that but right now drinking one of these ice cold shipyards out of this bottle this is a 10 on 10 and i had a pumpkin head on draft two days ago nine out of ten try and do our first uh official shipyard pumpkin head cheers on air three two one and it tastes even better all right it was well worth the wait uh what are we five days into september Seven. Uh, seven seven days. days yep i'm actually late this year so better start uh slamming these bad boys but no, i'm doing very well now that i'm cracking a nice uh, pumpkin beer i'm feeling very spooky and i researched a really dope topic for tonight as well as i edited our whole werewolves episode and put that out today so it's been a full day of podcasting on this side of the table and we're not done yet so we finished last episode by discussing Horicon. Yes, we did. Which is, if you guys have not listened to the Werewolves episode, um, it is the first ever horror convention put on by uh, Ice Nine Kills frontman, Spencer Charnas. And um, we want to talk to you, you guys, about our experience there. And we want to tell you guys how fucking sick it was to see them live up in Danvers, Mass. So I've never been to Comic-Con ever in my life. It's one of my biggest regrets. Me too. Uh, I've always wanted to go, but as far as the convention that we went to last weekend goes, 
I'm assuming it's exactly like Comic-Con, but it was just all horror-related. So it was everything that a horror fan would love about a convention. Ton of costumes, ton of vendors. I feel like they had, for the first horror convention, they had a ton of celebrities there that I was shocked actually signed on. Like my dude James Jude Courtney? Who plays Michael Myers, a.k.a. The Shape. Um, They had the, I, I can't remember his last name, um, the individual who plays Hellraiser, the original Hellraiser. So Doug, yes, I don't know his blank, last name. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he he actually was on a um, panels panels. Yes, and he talked about Hellraiser and its influence on society. So fucking cool. Did you get to talk to any of them or no? Like face to face? I said hello to Kane Hodder. Oh, nice, my dude. The problem was an autograph or a picture was like forty. Dollars. That is wildly overpriced. And I get that, like, these guys are icons, but I just didn't want to dish out $120 to get three pictures with the actors that play villains. Would be way cool if they were, like, in their real costumes. They do do that. Oh, really? So you have to, like, buy a certain package. It's, like, $100-something. Hmm. But um, the individual who plays the shape, Courtney, he is was dressed up in his complete... Michael Myers costume, and you could take pictures with him. Same with Kane Hodder, who plays uh, Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th, like 4, 5, and 6, and 7 maybe. And same with Doug. So you could definitely, if you like want to spend two or 300 bucks, get some really iconic pictures with these great villains of the past 20, 30 years. But uh, it was cool just to see them, to see the actors, to say hello the The best part was me and Courtney when we first got there, we were kind of confused because it was a bit of a maze layout. So we accidentally went somewhere we weren't supposed to go. There was no security, so we didn't really know uh, which way was which, and we were trying to get to a panel. And we walked down this hallway, and at the end of the hallway was Spencer, and he was surrounded by three or four. I don't know if they were friends or other people who were going to be on the panel to come. So we walked by. I just kind of nod my head at them. No one acknowledges me at all. I turn the corner and walk (laughs) out the door and I am standing on top of the panel. Like on the stage? I'm on the stage. (laughs) So I like walk out of the curtain and I look out and there's like 200 fucking people just like talking and standing there. And like some looked at me and didn't really acknowledge me. And I was just like, oh my God, this is not where I'm supposed to be. Did anybody clap for you? No one. Oh boy. No one. Oh, that's so funny. They're probably so, like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, so we just uh, we just turned around and walked back out. But maybe they thought I was the bassist or like the backup guitarist or something. Yeah. I feel like I should have just kept walking and sat down at the farthest chair. Oh, nobody would have said a thing. No, except like towards the end, some guy in the back would be like, hey, I, I got a question, Spence. Who the fuck is that guy? Uh, all the way to the left. And I'm just sitting there with my feet on the table, my hands <laughs> behind my head. Oh, buddy. You guys ever heard of the Brown Brothers Haunting Hour? <laughs> yeah, that podcast sucks. <laughs> But it was a great afternoon and a great show. Uh, Next year, they are having another one. I don't know if it's at the same area or the same hotel, but you guys need to get tickets to it uh, once they start advertising because it was so fucking cool. I was a little taken back when we first went into the theater. I keep forgetting the name of it, Um, but it was only it was like seating. So like there wasn't any general admission where you could go stand on the floor. Um, So you were just kind of stuck in your seat and we were all the way at the top. But man, once even Twisted was really good. But once Ice Nine Kills came out, I have zero complaints of it being at that venue because damn, did it absolutely rock. I would never complain that a concert is too loud 
but if there was ever a concert that was just slightly too loud or the or it wasn't even that i guess the noise wasn't distributed super evenly because it was a theater right oh my god the first fucking chord that hit me when ice night kills came out and almost put me on my ass hell of a good night um and that's getting us ready for our own paranormal convention that we're going to so me and tyler are going to be at the seekers of the supernatural paracon um and that's going to be at mohegan sun this october that's going to be october 29th and tickets are on sale now you guys can just go to mohegansun.com and you guys can get them there on their event pages and the coolest thing that i did not publish last episode about this they're going to have the actual doll from annabelle comes home there that night that you can take pictures with and, and you can actually touch this doll because yes, you, it's not the yep. quote-unquote cursed doll. It is that super sketchy-looking Annabelle doll, um, but it's not the one that kills people, allegedly. Um, and Annabelle comes home, definitely the second best in that series because Annabelle Creation is still number one for me as well as Tyler, I believe. Annabelle Creation is number one. Annabelle 1 is number two. Annabelle really? Comes Home is number three. The more I watch that movie, the more I... F- hate it it does not make any sense it doesn't really but i just like it because it's just like an a tornado of monsters coming for these three helpless girls they could have just done it so much better i think maybe it was just the acting i didn't like and how it was confined to the house and it wasn't anywhere else that's very fair but i just thought that annabelle 2 was the perfect annabelle movie it had everything jump scares it had the scariest monsters of the series i think good acting we said it before, but we um, we might have agreed that that might be one of the best films in the Conjuring universe, if not the best film. It'd be hard to go toe-to-toe against that one, in my opinion. Speaking of scary films, I finally sat down on Thursday of last week, and I watched the new Predator movie, Prey, and it blew my fucking socks off. Really? It was... Not only a good horror movie, but the pace of the movie made me super anxious. It hit hard to begin with. Yep. And then it kind of gave you a little story, which was nice because you got to, you got to like understand the characters. And that's the part of movies that really loses me because they just stay there too long. Right. You're waiting for something big to happen. Right. All right. I know everything I need to know about this character. Let's move it on. Exactly. And then five minutes later, the fucking guts and blood started pouring. And it went through the entire movie. The Predator was insane. Was he scary? So scary. Uh, why did I say he? Was it scary? It was, I mean, I, I've always been inclined towards Alien being the scarier one the of scarier. the scarier. 100%. The more for whatever it's called. Um, but in this movie, I don't know if I jumped ship, but it is compelling that Alien, or I'm sorry, Predator is scarier than Alien. I am very intrigued. I'm going to have to see this movie. And it's it's short enough, like where you can just sit down. It's an hour and I think twenty minutes. So you just sit down, have a beer, and like ten minutes in, you're already hooked onto why is Predator on the planet and why is he trying to kill these Native Americans and these colonists. That was the time period. That was it. Oh, yeah, I think it, it might have been like sweet. the eighteen hundreds, eighteen twelve, eighteen thirteen. The that's French awesome. colonists were. I, I forgot what part of the state it was, or I'm sorry, uh, part of the country. But the French colonists were coming in, so they were fucking up like the Native Americans. The Native Americans were doing the same thing back. And then this fucking predator comes in and just throws the whole dynamic out. It's awesome. 
And where is that streaming now? That is on Hulu. On Hulu? Yep. Perfect. And it's, it is, like I said, a great Halloween flick. Even a great flick to get you into that Halloween, October 1st feeling. So maybe like end of September, if it's a nice cool day, a nice cool evening, throw that on, have some candy corn if you want. I'm not a big candy corn guy. Uh, drink a pumpkin head and you will have a great evening. And then just adding off that, I am making it a priority of mine to watch that new movie X that came out. It's like a slasher flick with uh, the girl. Snow. Yeah, and the girl from Scream's in it, the new Scream. Yes. Have you seen it or no? No, A24 said it was their best film. It popped up on my Instagram because they're doing that other uh, spinoff of Penny, uh, whatever her name is. or Pearl, right? Is Pearl, that the new yes. one? Yeah. Yeah, so that's like the older woman in X. But like I was watching a little recap of it. Uh, this movie looks fucking awesome. Why haven't I seen this yet? So making that a priority before September ends to watch that bad boy. If anybody's seen it yet, DM me and Tyler and tell us what you think. No spoilers, please. Um, you guys can also find us at Brown Brothers Haunting Hour on Instagram. All right, Ty, anything else to add before we jump into the old topic tonight? The Pac-Man needs a beer, so I'll be right back. All right, so tonight we are going to be talking about, in my opinion, probably the most prolific killer in American history. Ty, who's your favorite killer in American history? Do you got one? I'm, uh, again, going to be drawn and quartered, but I don't really find serial killers interesting. What? Like, Who I don't, are you? I, <laughs> Like Jeffrey Dahmer and Arnie Johnson, killer. Technically, yeah, that's true. Um, Ed Gein, we did an episode on him. Leatherface. Yeah, that like that's. I feel like a singular killer is more interesting to me for some reason than a serial killer. I don't know why. Maybe I've been watching way too much Forensic Files, and it's just like on every single episode. That makes sense. Um, or every other documentary now on Netflix is yeah, serial it's, killers it's in like America. A- overkill um i love the, the jim jones story i know he's not technically a killer but he is i'd say he's a killer yeah i mean he he was the one that um godlike figure that everyone believed so much that they poisoned themselves so technically he just convinced everyone that he was a god and they all killed themselves yes he's definitely an accessory to murder but i don't think i have a, a, a favorite serial killer maybe the axe man of new orleans Ooh, yeah. See episode... 20-something? Yeah, yeah, which is one of my favorite episodes. Also, if you guys want to learn more about Jim Jones and uh, cults, look at episode three of ours. But I only asked that, Ty, because tonight we're going to be talking all about the infamous H.H. H. Holmes. Do you know anything about my boy H.H. H. Holmes? Very little. I know that he had this sick-ass house that had... The whole thing was just a ton of fucking traps. And he preyed on super attractive blonde chicks. So they say. So they say. So, so they that, say. that's all I know. And he was supposed to be played by, I want to say, Leonardo DiCaprio in a film that did not get greenlit. No way. Yeah, Leah was going to play H.H. H. Holmes three or four years ago. Whew, I would have watched the f*** out of that. That's exactly what I said. I read an article on it and then like Blumhouse dropped it for some reason. Um, but yes, tonight we're going to be talking all about H.H. H. Holmes. People say he was one of the first serial killers in America, but that term doesn't really fly with him because to be a serial killer, you kind of do it for the bloodlust, more or less. And H.H. Holmes did not kill his victims for, like, the joy of killing a person. He did it for specific reasons, mostly insurance fraud. So you can't really use the term serial killer with him. You can use, like, the term selective killer. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background about H.H. H. Holmes' early life, and then we're going to jump into 
him and the murder castle in Chicago. So H.H. Holmes was born Herman Webster Mudgett on May 16th, 1861 in New Hampshire, kind of our neck of the woods tie. There's two ways that his upbringing kind of goes. People say that his family life was very, very good most of the time and that his parents were very wealthy and gave him everything he wanted and he had a great childhood. Then there's the flip side of the coin with every single killer in America that said that he came up in a very religious family where his parents were very strong-handed in their beliefs. They didn't allow him to go out. He was very secluded in his house. Um, And there was one article that I read that said that his dad used to silence his kids by using kerosene-soaked rags and putting them over their faces. So childhood traumas that were not very well dealt with as a kid and projected later on in life or manifested later in life. And I'll warn anybody, if you're interested in H.H. Holmes as a killer, be ready to get a lot of information that nobody knows the answer to. There's a lot of gray area about H.H. Holmes um, because the guy confessed to so many murders and people believe that he murdered so many people, but the evidence didn't really add up to him killing the amount that he said he did, which we'll get to later in the episode. So kind of the whole thing that started off the story of H.H. Holmes was the fact that he was bullied very, very negatively at school at a young age. And he was bullied mainly because of his intelligence and because he was kind of a weird child. This climaxed in a traumatic episode where schoolmates ambushed Holmes and forced him into a doctor's office where they placed the hands of a skeleton on H.H. Holmes' face. Holmes claimed that the incident sparked his interest in anatomy and medicine. And this is a direct quote from Holmes himself. It was a wicked and dangerous thing to do to a child of tender years and health but it proved a heroic method of treatment and into inclate me first a strong feeling of curiosity and later a desire to learn, which resulted in years afterwards in my adopting medicine as my profession. So this whole terrifying experience of getting dragged into a doctor's office and having these bullies put a skeleton in your face and start touching you with a skeleton. This made him realize he was super interested in anatomy, even though this scared the out of him. If you were ever going to believe in like some weird, evil, divine intervention, this is it. It was said that Holmes frequently wanted relief from both his schoolwork and his home life. So Holmes often retreated into the forest around his family's house where he started experimenting with dissection of animals. Holmes began by cutting up the bodies of small reptiles and other small creatures, then moved on to mammals including rabbits and dogs. This type of behavior is said to have sparked Holmes' interest in human anatomy. It also made him very comfortable with the idea of dissection. So in 1872, when Holmes was 11 years old, his childhood best friend Tom, who was older, fell from the landing of an abandoned home that the two boys were exploring. Holmes said that he saw Tom fall, but in hindsight, many believed that he could have been close enough to push Tom off the landing. Many believe that this may have been done so Holmes could dissect his first human being. So that's mostly what happened during his younger years. Now we're going to get to where he went to school and college. Um, So at the age of 16, Holmes graduated from Phillips Academy and took teaching jobs in New Hampshire. So H.H. Holmes ends up enrolling at the University of Vermont in Burlington at the age of 18, but was dissatisfied with the schooling, mainly the medical program, and left after one year. In 1882, he entered the University of Michigan's Department of Medicine and Surgery. 
He graduated in June 1884 after passing his exams. He worked mainly in the anatomy lab under Professor William Herdman, uh, who was the chief anatomy instructor, and it was speculated that the two were said to have been engaged in facilitating grave robbing and supplying medical cadavers to surrounding schools. This sounds like the personification of H.P. Lovecraft's reanimator, where there are two, I guess they're actually med students, but they do exactly this. They try to find the freshest, if you will, corpses and dissect them in order to try to bring them back to life. But I'm sure Holmes just did this to dissect. Like yeah. the, his whole point was to start cutting open a person to see what's inside. Exactly. Then once Holmes realized that he could get money for these bodies, this is when everything kind of started to spiral for him. So during his medical studies at the University of Michigan, Holmes began to steal bodies from the school's laboratory and then mangling them or burning the remains. By making the bodies unrecognizable, he collected money of life insurance policies after the bodies were found and deemed accidental deaths. Holmes also stole bodies from graves and morgues and started to sell them to nearby medical schools, or he used them for his own research and dissection. This part's very, very creepy and kind of disgusting. So one afternoon in the late 1880s, his landlord noticed a foul smell coming from Holmes's apartment. To her horror, she found the corpse of an infant child under his bed. He claimed that he brought home this cadaver for studies and that he was going to use that to study medicine on infants. Could you, with a sound conscience, fall asleep if there was a dead baby underneath your bed? Nope, I couldn't even fall asleep if there was, like, a doll underneath my bed. And, like, an inanimate doll, not even a human doll, just, just a little doll. Yeah. I have no idea why I'm going on this little tangent, but thinking about, like, if there's literally a person staring up at me from underneath, from underneath bed. my bed. <laughs> oh, God. That is just <laughs> horrifying and the fact that he did this with a human child is that's even scarier i think yeah good luck to everybody trying to fall asleep tonight if you're listening to this at nighttime just picture somebody underneath your bed staring up at you looking right at you <laughs> i feel luck. like if, if we ever do another movie just have a lateral camera facing the person sleeping and then you just go down and there's a person staring straight up at him i'm not sleeping a wink tonight i have the fucking chills right now so after graduating from medical school at the university of michigan holmes ends up working a bunch of odd jobs um he traveled back to new york for a while to massachusetts back to michigan and then at that time he ends up leaving michigan in the middle of the night and makes a beeline for chicago and this was because he gathered up so much debt from not paying rent for his apartments that people came after him um, repossessing money that they were owed but Holmes ends up leaving in the middle of the night, heads to Chicago. Herman Webster Mudgett ends up changing his name once he gets to Chicago to Harry Howard Holmes. This is when he starts to be known as H.H. Holmes himself. He ended up doing this when he sat for his pharmaceutical license test in May of 1886. And this is when he comes across Elizabeth S. Holton's drugstore at the northwest corner of South Wallace Avenue and West 63rd Street in Inglewood, Chicago. Um, the owner of the drugstore, Mr. Holton, gives H.H. Holmes a job, and H.H. Holmes proves to be a very competent, hardworking individual. So years down the line, he ends up selling H.H. Holmes the drugstore. 
Holmes ends up purchasing an empty lot across the street from the drugstore, where construction begins in 1887 for a two-story mixed building, with apartments on the second floor and retail space, including a new drugstore on the bottom floor. In 1892, a third floor was added, which became a hotel with multiple rooms for guests visiting the World's Columbian Exposition which was the World's Fair held in Chicago in 1893 to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival in the New World in 1492. So this building becomes known as Holmes's Murder Castle. So this building itself has been a hot topic of debate ever since Holmes' execution in 1896. Reports by journalists labeled this building as Holmes's murder castle, claiming the structure contained secret torture chambers, trap doors, gas chambers, and a basement crematorium. Other accounts claimed that the hotel was made up of over a hundred rooms and laid out like a maze, with doors opening into brick walls, windowless rooms, and dead-end staircases. Many of these claims could have been exaggerated at the time, just to give the story more traction and to get people get people more interested, because let's be real, we all know that horror, gore, and sex sells like wildfire. And much like Holmes's upbringing, you, nobody will really know what the murder castle was like unless you were there during the World's Fair and ended up renting a room in this place. So many people do believe that he had secret compartments and secret chutes that led down to the basement for bodies just to get dumped down there that nobody could find. But the idea that he had random hallways and random rooms leading to brick walls is a little far-fetched in my opinion and then people also claim that he had like acid vats in certain rooms where he could just dispose of bodies really quickly also seems a little far-fetched in my opinion so this is still speculation nobody really knows what was inside the murder castle because he kept it so secretive okay my next question did this guy ever kill anyone he did he officially killed someone because everything that you've given me is like, this is just some fucked up dude who, yes, he uh, takes corpses and sells them for money, but I haven't heard anything about him killing anyone. And also, I thought his murder castle was a legit fact. It's not. Oh my goodness. My whole life, actually, I don't really know much about this, but that's the only, when you asked me what I knew about H.H. Holmes, it was, I knew he lived in some sick house that was like the collector's house, uh, and I knew he was a serial killer. So the first really scary thing that Holmes ends up doing that he gets caught for, one of his employees working at the drugstore ends up coming upstairs with him one day, and he purchases a really, really big-ass safe. He opens up the safe that's about six feet tall by six feet wide, and he tells his employee to get in. He said once he gets in, he wants him to scream as loud as he possibly can. Holmes locks him inside of it. He screams as loud as he can, and Holmes can't hear a thing. He opens up the safe, he tells him that he did a great job, and to get back to work. He also did things such as building rooms with objects already inside him, but makes the rooms very, very small so the object cannot get out. So he had multiple safes that he bought on credit, so he didn't pay any money for them, brought them into the murder castle, and had a contractor come and build a room around these safes. Then when the owners of the safes came to repossess them, Holmes told the owners of the safe, if you get this out of my hotel and you damage one of the walls, I will sue you for everything you have. So they ended up just giving him the safes and he leaves them inside the hotel. What he uses them for, nobody knows. 
So he's a certifiable genius who also locks people in safes. Apparently. Yeah, okay. So he's definitely uh, he's definitely a serial killer. But a smart one. I think most of them are, actually. So Holmes ends up confessing to killing 27 different individuals when he was placed in custody. Although only nine were identified and linked to Holmes himself. It is claimed that he could have killed up to 200 people during the World's Fair at his murder castle. He was that good of disposing bodies that people couldn't find a shred of evidence to put against him. Where did the bodies go? So we'll get into a little bit of the evidence and his victims here. So his first victims, it is believed, were killed in 1891. This was Julia Connor, the wife of a man who worked for Holmes in his drugstore, as well as her daughter, Pearl. They were last seen alive just before Christmas in 1891. The only way they could link this murder to H.H. Holmes was the fact that Julia and Holmes ended up sparking a romantic relationship because he used to flirt with her all the time when she would come in to the drugstore with her husband who was working for Holmes. Ends up that Holmes starts sleeping with her and he boasts about it to her husband. So he was a total douchebag about it. F***ing scumbag. And then it said he ends up getting Julia pregnant with his child. He does not want this child to be born, neither does she. So him being medically inclined, he ends up performing an abortion on her in the basement of the castle. Ends up killing her as well as the infant child. Accidentally. Or so they say. Or I mean, no, people don't say that. I'm sure they say he murdered her. Correct. But maybe he was accident, or he was trying to abort her and killed her. It is not known what happens to her daughter, Pearl. She ends up disappearing without a trace. In 1893, H.H. Holmes meets Minnie Williams, uh, who he sparked a a new romantic relationship with, and her sister, Nanny Williams, planned a trip to visit the couple in Chicago. Holmes insists Minnie to allow him to go pick up her sister from the train station when she arrives. And Minnie's now living at her own apartment in Chicago, where Holmes was originally. And he said, I'll go pick up your sister and bring her back here, and we can have dinner together. He picks up Nanny from the train station, brings her back to the murder castle, and ends up hitting her over the head multiple times, and then kills her. Later on, when Minnie came to ask questions, he kills her as well and then puts her body up for insurance money and makes it look like an accident. The bodies of Julia, the woman who he performed the abortion on, Minnie and Nanny were never actually found. It is believed that Holmes sold their cadavers to medical studies or ended up burning them or putting them in one of the acid vats if he had those available. It is claimed now that detectives found within the basement of the murder castle blood-splattered dissecting tables alongside various torture paraphernalia. A crematorium contained ash and remnants of human bodies. Additionally, Minnie Williams' watch, as well as other pieces of jewelry, were claimed to be laying within the ash. A pelvic bone belonging to a young child, um, apparently of 12 years old, which Pearl was, was found within the ashes as well. Um, And it's said that Julia perished on the operating table as investigators found a bloody piece of her dress and instruments used for abortion within the room itself. So in 1894, Holmes ends up using a longtime associate named Benjamin Peitzel to assist in what was supposed to be a successful con. 
In this plan, Peitzel was to fake his own death and have his wife collect uh, the $10,000 life insurance policy. This money was supposed to be split between the Peitzel family, Holmes, and the lawyer that helped Holmes out. So Peitzel was supposed to fake his own death by blowing up in a lab explosion, and then he was instructed to go into hiding for a couple months. Holmes actually ends up killing Peitzel, and Holmes ends up making the death look like a suicide. Mrs. Peitzel, his wife, who was also supposed to get paid off, um, was kept in the dark about this drastic change of plans. He was becoming concerned that the other five Peitzel children might expose him because they knew Holmes very well. Um, that he ended up going away with three of the children, telling the mother that himself and Benjamin Peitzel were taking the kids away on a vacation. He ends up killing three of the children, and the only way they found out was that a Philadelphia detective named Frank P. Geyer had tracked Holmes across states, finding the decomposed body of two of the Peitzel girls in Toronto, buried in the cellar of 16 St. Vincent Street. He then followed Holmes to Indianapolis, where Holmes had rented a cottage. Holmes was reported of visiting a local pharmacy where he purchased drugs used to kill Howard Peitzel, the youngest of the children. How was this guy not in custody? How do they not connect the dots sooner? And then get this. So Holmes ends up taking the body of Howard Peitzel into the basement of the home that he was renting in Indianapolis and used a very fine blade to chop up the body before burning them all. The boy's teeth and bits of bones were discovered in the home's chimney. I mean, if you were ever going to get away with murder like this dude does, it would be in the very late 18th century where there was no forensic evidence at all. DNA profiling wasn't a thing. It was literally if you saw it happen, it happened. And if you didn't, then most likely that person will get off with like a slap on the wrist. Exactly, and then just look at the fact in 1911, that's when the, the Velisca Axe murder took place. Um, and that was mostly the idea that somebody would just break into your house because you leave the doors open in that time in the Midwest. Not like a city like Chicago, but you would leave your doors open, somebody could come in with an axe, kill your whole family, slip off into the night, and they would never catch you. Yeah, and get away with it. Much like the guy who committed the axe murders. Nobody ever caught him, as well as the Louisiana axe murderer was, or the New Orleans axe murderer was a little later on, right? 1917? Yeah, and still no suspects there, though. So, I mean, it was anything that predates, like, the 1950s or 60s. You could pretty much get away with anything. And that's horrifying. Yeah. And even, like, the 70s and 80s, that's when, like, the forensics were starting to like it was still their their infant stages but they were starting to look at stuff like that this was a hundred years before that and imagine coming to a city like chicago that was putting on the world's fair which had upwards of 27 million people visiting the streets of chicago that year to come check out the world's fair and if you needed a place to stay you ended up going to hh holmes's place if you were a loner and he could tell that he'd be like yeah I could kill this guy and then make up with $10,000 off his life insurance policy, make it look like an accident. Whew, good luck. So the death of the Peitzel family was what sent Holmes over the edge and inevitably ended up with his capture. On May 7, 1896, Holmes was hanged at the Philadelphia County Prison for the murder of the Peitzel children as well as Benjamin Peitzel. Until the moment of his death, H.H. Holmes remained calm and admirable, showing very few signs of fear, anxiety, or depression. He actually ended up eating a meal of eggs, black coffee, and dry toast 30 minutes before his execution. Fucking churning. Cement factory shredded out right there. 
Does not say if they were regular eggs or just egg whites. I don't know. Dry toast, though, no butter. There you Dude's go. Dude's a stud. And black coffee, no cream, no sugar. He's not a stud. I'm just kidding. He's an asshole. I'm not sure if you get the uh, butter or creamer when you're in prison on death row, but... Yeah, I didn't get the creamer. <laughs> um, He ends up asking for his coffin to be contained in cement and buried 10 feet deep. He was concerned grave robbers would steal his body and use it for desiccation. That's what you're worried about after you did that your entire life. Yeah, that's the most ironic statement I have ever heard. So there are multiple accounts that give you a different story about this. Half of them say that H.H. H. Holmes dies on impact when the rope snapped his neck. There are also multiple accounts could be fabricated to make this story that much creepier, but that H.H. H. Holmes' neck did not end up breaking during the drop at the gallows. He instead strangled to death slowly, twitching for over 15 minutes before being pronounced dead 25 minutes after the trap had been sprung. And then you might be going back and saying, why didn't they just ramsack the castle after he was found guilty for these nine murders? Um, just go to his place where he lived to find out what was going on. So the castle ends up mysteriously being gutted by fire in August of 1895. According to a newspaper clipping from the New York Times, two men were seen entering the back of the building between 8 and 9 p.m. Following several explosions, the castle went up in flames. Afterwards, investigators found a half-empty gas can underneath the back steps of the building. Why you would leave the gas can there, beyond me, but... Most of it ended up surviving. The third floor was completely encased in flames, so you couldn't really tell what was going on up there. Um, ends up the U.S. Postal Service buys the house and then turns it into a postal facility until the whole thing gets torn down in 1938. So the murder castle is not still standing in Chicago. Damn, would that be a sick place to go investigate for like paranormal reasons if it was still around today. You ready for the craziest thing that you'll ever hear in your life? In 2017, amidst allegations, Holmes had in fact escaped execution. Holmes's body was exhumed for testing by Janet Mung, of the University of Pennsylvania Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology. This query was brought forward by his great-grandchildren to put the rest the idea that Holmes faked his own death and traveled to South America. Due to his coffin being contained in cement, his body was found not to have decomposed normally. His clothes were almost perfectly preserved and his mustache was found to be intact. The body was positively identified by his teeth as being that of H.H. H. Holmes himself, and was reburied in 2017. I thought you were going to say it was not H.H. <laughs> H. Holmes. So they think. So the only way they could tell was by cross-referencing his dental patterns to his father. And they were so similar that they said that this was H.H. H. Holmes. So either he met somebody and he was like such a good medical professional and dentist that he would be like, yeah, our teeth patterns are almost exactly the same to my father's. You're going to go get yourself killed. I'm out of here. I'm going to South America to drink a Mai Tai and hang out down there. Did H.H. H. Holmes have a brother? I do not know. Because they would have very similar teeth patterns to their father. It's H.H. H. Holmes. Look up a picture of him. He looks like every single white dude if you just grew out your mustache a little bit and wore a bowler cap on the top of your head. That is exactly why I don't have a mustache, because I look like a serial killer. <laughs> but that's insane. That was in 2017, and I had no idea that was ever happening. Yeah, that should have been on the front page of the New York Times. And I could see why people might have kept that hush-hush. Like, I know that like horror sells, but they're like, 
let's keep this hush hush until we know that this is actually H.H. Holmes and he didn't flee. Yeah, and make Uh-oh. sure that his spawn is not somewhere out there doing the same thing. Right, Whether exactly. it's the same predisposition as him. But still insane that his clothes were like perfectly intact and his mustache was still there. I was like, oh my God, imagine being the person to have to actually open up the coffin. Like, oh my God, this is going to be so gross. That'd be kind of cool though. <laughs> so yes, that is the story of H.H. Holmes. And I get that it's a little bit disappointing that people don't really know what went on with this guy. But then again, he was very secretive in what he did. He confessed to 27 murders, but only nine were put against him. I feel like that makes it so much scarier that there's no charted documentation on what he did and what he did not do. So I know we talked a lot about speculation, but maybe the acid vats are, are real and the trapdoors, or I'm sorry, were real. Um, and people did get tortured and he did kill almost 30 people. Maybe he did all that stuff. Cause it was very, very well known that a lot of people went to the world's fair in Chicago and a lot of people went because they had good employment opportunities and way for you to start a new life within a city like Chicago. So if he was smart enough, he could have easily killed 200 people if he had those like great ways of disposing of these bodies. So it's up to the listener here. Yes, he had evidence against him that he only killed nine people. It could very, very well be a possibility that he killed over 200. Killing but, nine people is still pretty bad. That's really bad. It's not. That still makes you a serial killer. But but imagine, if you had 27 million people coming to, like I say, like Boston, 200 people is such a f- minuscule amount. Oh, it's, nobody a, it's a would, fraction of that. Nobody would notice if they went missing. And I think that's even scarier to think about. So, Ty, grab that beer. Let's go to the Brown Brothers Haunting Hour Scare Scale. You yourself, you're heading to the World's Fair in Chicago. Grab me a uh, Chicago dog. (laughs) Big old saucy. And over to Chi-Town. To where? Chi-Town. That's in Chicago? Oh, oh, (laughs) Chinatown's in Boston. Give me a little uh, deep dish pizzeria and... uh, And go see Knuckle Puck play f***ing live because that's my band and that's where they're from. And first, you see like a little flyer. Oh, rooms for rent upstairs um, above a drugstore. You end up going up there. You fall asleep one night and then you wake up and you can't move because you get dosed with drugs. I'm just making this up on the fly. Somehow, H.H. Holmes drugs you and then you see him walking into your room and then he either strangles you or he just puts you in one of the body shoots and you have a one-way ticket downstairs. I'm going to go with that's pretty scary. I'd say so. That is, I, letting someone have their complete way with me where I can't move, where I'm either like chained to something or tied to something, or I'm, I was administered something where I can't move. Uh, that is horrifying to me. So that's got to be a solid seven on the Brown Brothers Haunting Hour scale. I respect it. And this is also speculation. We don't know if H.H. Holmes did this, but he very well could have. Yeah. I mean, if he wore like some weird gallows mask, oh, God, that would be like a 10. A, uh, like a big apron yeah like in hostel Ooh, uh, like God. that would be a solid 10 i would scream and scream until my lungs tore but uh if it was just him walking in and i was still chained up and stuff solid seven horrifying how about this scenario you escape your your bindings mm-hmm. but you have no weapon and he's coming after you and you're in the murder castle and you're trying to find your way out Ooh. That's got to be more than a seven. That, for me, is probably an eight, just because the anxiety 
Because I know, I, mean, I don't know, but I, I would be thinking about trap doors and like opening up a trip, door that leads to nowhere. Yeah, and like a, trip wires where oh. like something cuts my Achilles or, or I fall into a vat of acid. Like that'd be a solid eight. You could make the coolest short video game about this. Like, hey, you're gonna you got ten minutes to kill. Try to get out of the murder castle with a, with H H Holmes trying to kill you. Yeah. Oof. And if H H Holmes happened to be like some six foot four. <laughs> He, he wasn't. <laughs> I know, yeah. I'm sure he wasn't like a, a Hulk Texas monster. chainsaw. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's still like a solid eight, though. If someone was trying to kill me and I was trying to get out, I could not take them. Yeah, that's scary. I don't like that idea at all. I'm going to have a dream about that tonight. Oof, can't wait. But yeah, guys, so that's our episode on H.H. Holmes. If you guys want to learn more about him, uh, just Google him. But then again, fair warning, because there is a lot of gray area with this guy. But it is fascinating to learn about what went down at the Murder Castle uh, during the World's Fair in Chicago. Um, And other than that, guys, if you could do us a solid and give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, we would be eternally grateful to you. Also, please give us a five-star rating on Spotify. It helps us rise through the ranks and helps people find us very quickly. And me and Tyler will be ordering merchandise very soon. Because we will have that available for anybody who wants to purchase it through our store, as well as have it available for anybody coming to visit us at the Seekers of the Supernatural Paracon at Mohegan Sun, October 29th. Also, Ty, you want to tell people about our giant Jenga game real quick? Yes, as Colonel Hannibal once said, overkill is underrated. And when I was at the HorrorCon last weekend, I noticed that my eyes were drawn to the vendors that had ton of shit, cool shit, oh, fun like, stuff to do. And like a bowl of stuff where you're like, hey, that looks cool, I want one. Compared to a table that didn't have much on it. Mm-hmm. So the whole point of this tangent is Ryan and I want our table to be fun and to be visual when we go to Paracon. So I ordered a giant Jenga, which is always fun, no matter where you go. I hope it falls on somebody. <laughs> it might. Um, and uh, we also ordered a life-size model of Jason Voorhees. And we have two games that we're going to play with those specific paraphernalia. We're not going to give too much away, but you can win some cool prizes and you can prove that you are a Jenga master or a pin the machete on Jason master. And as always, we're the Brown Bros and we're coming to you from the grave.